Hi, and welcome to the 40 and Infertile podcast. I'm your host, Victoria, at 40 and Infertile on Instagram. I'm a fellow IVF patient, and this is where I share with you my fertility journey in my late 30s and 40s, while also providing you information to minimize your fertility struggles later in life. Hi, everyone. Today's conversation is a very difficult one. We discussed the difficulty with needing to make a decision around termination for medical reasons, or TFMR, and we speak with the recurrent loss psychologist, Nick, about what this experience is like for her. She offers a really kind and supportive space for those who have experienced recurrent loss and those having to make the difficult decision. And I wanted to make sure that we had some discussion around this because it is a very difficult decision to have. And at some point in time, there are so many of us who are going through this who may never hear what someone's experience is like, or we may never discuss this because it's such a difficult discussion to have. I think that we often don't have the discussion. And rather than not having the discussion, I think it's important that we um, put it out there so that those who do have to make the dis- this type of decision um, have people they can turn to and ask what that was like and um, kind of understand it better. A lot of times um, in this infertility space, um, I feel like there's so much we don't talk about or we don't know and there's a lot of fear in having these discussions. And, you know, in the U.S. and its current climate, um, it can be even more difficult to have these discussions. And so I want this to be a safe space for people who um, really have encountered this um, struggle um, that they have to Um, work through and then um, hopefully have some resources to help them make their decision, whichever decision it needs to be. Um, But, you know, it's, I mean, I think part of it is you can hear me struggling in talking about it because it is so difficult. And for so many people, for different reasons, it can be so difficult. So um, I just wanted this to be out there for those who do have to go through this. And certainly, um, I am so grateful for Nick. We recorded this a really long time ago, so I'm really sorry. But it finally is getting released. So I really want to thank her for her time and being so open and so supportive to all these women who um, are sitting um, and having to think about all of these things. Um, so thank you if you have found value, of course, in um, anything that um, we're doing here. Please um, feel free to follow, share it with someone who you might um, think that this could be beneficial for. Of course, there's always donation options, although not required, um, just to kind of keep things going. Um, Otherwise, um, I hope this is helpful for you. Um, I hope that it offers you some resources um, for where you can get some help. And um, here we go. Just a quick reminder, I am not a physician, and the information provided today is for educational and informational purposes only, and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. So 
make sure that you consult with your own fertility doctor before choosing any medical therapies that may affect your fertility. Unfortunately, every person's situation is unique and it is vital that you discuss your own personal situation with your fertility doctor to decide what is the best course of action for you. Hi, Nick. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Victoria. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, we have um, a lot of important things to talk about. I think I found your account, I think, in the beginning of me going through all of this. And I remember when I saw your account, it felt comforting, knowing that you were saying things that I think wish were said. You know, I think so much in this space, we don't talk about a lot of stuff. And you were talking about these things that I kind of felt like I wanted and needed to hear. So it was really comforting space to be in. So first, I want to thank you for creating a space for a lot of us to go to where we feel like we can find a home for some of these feelings. Do you know what I mean? Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's that's so kind of you to say. And that's exactly what I would want my account to be, a sort of safe, comforting space. So that's really nice to hear. Yeah, well, you know, I'm sorry that you had to create that space. <laughs> I'm sorry that you had to go through what you went through to create that space because I don't think any of us want or, you know, asked to kind of be in this space to kind of, you know, cr create this place for people to be in where, you know, they know that at least other people are going through it, but it's really difficult. It's a really tough spot to be in. And, you know, Today, we're going to be talking about a lot of difficult topics, you know, recurrent pregnancy loss, termination for medical reasons, and a few other things, field transfers, things like that. So why don't we just start with your story? How did it all begin? Okay. Yeah, I mean, the account took me a long time to set up, and I wonder if part of it was not wanting to be in the space that I found myself in and thinking, well, I so soon I won't be in this space, so I won't set up the account. And and eventually, after four or five years, no, I'm in this space. And actually, the account ended up saving me in a lot of ways and, and really helping me. And I wish I'd set it up sooner. So I'll go back to the start, uh, and I'll try and I'll try and whiz through what we've been through because it has been a long time. So. I was 32 and had just turned 33 in 2016. And that's when my husband and I did what a lot of people do and decided to just stop using contraception and just see what happened, you know, so blasé and innocent. We'd, we'd only been together for two years. So although I have a lot of regrets on this journey, I know a lot of people think, oh, I wish I'd started trying earlier. That's not one of my regrets. <laughs> I have many others. Because, yeah, we'd been together two years. I don't, I don't think we could have started any earlier. I had always had in my head that my mum, my nana had premature menopause. So I did have this nagging feeling I might struggle to conceive. And I would say I, I had been feeling the ticking of the biological clock. So we thought we'd see what happened. And within a few months, we were pregnant. So... It, it was like, great, I, I didn't have anything to worry about all along. <laughs> oh, and if I look back to myself then, it's almost laughable if it wasn't so tragic. So we were pregnant in December 2016 and we had an early miscarriage. Um, and honestly, it didn't, it didn't floor me in the way that early miscarriages can for some people. And they have 
for me at other times. We were just so shocked that it happened so quickly. And then it, it was over and we were sad, but we were kind of, you know, reassured by how, how quickly we'd fallen pregnant and thought, OK, that was sad, but actually it wasn't really traumatic. It wasn't devastating. We hadn't been trying for ages. So, you know, if you're going to have a miscarriage, that, it, it, it was a relatively non-traumatic one to have. We then got engaged and we booked our wedding for nine months later. So we had a little break and I naively thought, well, we've been pregnant. It will be easy for us. And almost, I know miscarriage is common. I've had one, that, that that's it done. Um, and now you know, here we are almost six years later and we still have no living children. After we were married, that's when we properly started trying and we're quite relaxed initially. And then we're just getting to the stage where it wasn't happening and starting to worry and starting to think, is this going to be a problem when we were pregnant again? And this pregnancy ended in miscarriage. At 12 weeks, we found out it was a missed miscarriage. So baby's baby's heart had stopped beating around eight weeks. And that did floor me, absolutely floored me. We're devastated. You're given your choice. I mean, I'd never heard of a missed miscarriage and I was so blindsided. I remember saying, was I ever even pregnant? Which sounds like a really stupid question when they're telling you, but you're, you've been given this news that is so traumatic. You're so un unprepared for. And yeah, we were given the options you're given with a missed miscarriage. So you can wait and see if something's going to happen naturally, which after four weeks, it, it was unlikely. And I chose surgical management of miscarriage. And this is probably one of my bigger regrets. The option of medical management being given a tablet to induce a kind of mini labour and pass everything. I just thought, oh my God, I can't do that. And I did some research and found out some people do that and they have to have the surgery anyway because they don't get anything. You can, you, you know, I, I, that's what I do. I get my information, I read and I make an informed decision. Now, from years later, as someone who's had an Asherman's diagnosis, so a diagnosis of intrauterine scarring and adhesions due to DNC surgery, I will always think if I hadn't chosen surgical management, if we'd chosen medical management, would things have been differently? But I try really hard not to think like that because you make, on this journey, you make impossible decisions that you don't know the outcome until you have the benefit of hindsight. So we had surgical management and we thought, well, OK, we're being told it's very unlucky to have two miscarriages. Next time, everything should be fine. But I had six, seven months after that of no cycles coming back. My period disappeared. I would show that I was ovulating. And two months later, I would be bent double on the bathroom floor, not able to function, not able to go to work with really excruciating pain and just kept getting told it was it was common. I know women are told a lot of the time pain is normal. They didn't say that to me. They said it was common. But my advice would be fight back to common because just because something is common happening to a lot of people doesn't mean it's OK and doesn't mean it's normal. We sought lots of different opinions. We went private. We we saw different doctors. And ultimately, we were told, oh, if you go back on the pill, that might induce a bleed. So that's what we did. And it, it actually did induce a bleed. And soon we were pregnant again. So my concerns about Asherman's, I kept getting told, well, you've fallen pregnant again, so you, you can't have Asherman's. It's very rare. And my concerns about Asherman's kind of disappeared because the doctors were telling me you're, you're pregnant again. So it can't be that. And now know that is not to be the case. And then sorry, I'm going to stop for a second. The, is it yeah, because of, of implantation? Is that why? 
they, I mean, I, I think I was given very bad advice, but if you have Ashermans, it can be symptomless or it can present in your periods disappearing, having a very thin lining, and it can present as recurrent miscarriage because you have maybe chemical pregnancies where they're not implanting properly or they're struggling to implant because of the scar tissue, or you can actually fall pregnant with Ashermans and then later on in pregnancy, there can be severe complications due to restricted growth because you have scar tissue and adhesions oh, in your uterus. <clears throat> so ultimately, I was given incorrect information. That pregnancy miscarried. We, we, look, we don't know. Was it because I had Ashermans? Was it because, you know, I, I later found out I had immunological issues? Was it because it was a genetic issue with the embryo? Part, part of this journey is you will never know. And that's really hard to reconcile sometimes. But that third pregnancy also ended in miscarriage, a miscarriage on Christmas Day, which was devastating, really devastating. But I suppose the positive was <laughs> over here and in a lot of places, once you have three miscarriages, they will do some recurrent miscarriage testing and look for answers. So that was kind of a little flag of potential hope in the future. Do you know what? They might get to the bottom of this. Over here, they routinely test things like your thyroid, things like they might do some scans just to check kind of structural things. They'll look into blood clotting factors like lupus, anticoagulant or antiphospholipid syndrome. And some places will do a karyotype. So they looked at genetic factors for myself and my husband. And I remember they called us in and they said, good news, everything's fine. <laughs> I remember thinking, it, is that good news? That just means you're sending us off on our way. Oh, just bad luck. Try again. Maybe it's your age. So and at the time, how we, old were you? I mean, at the time, so 2016, 2017, I would have just turned 34. So, I mean, you know, you weren't 44. No, 35. <laughs> Sorry. No, yeah. no, totally. Yeah. Right. So 33 for, for our first pregnancy. And then 34 and then 35. So, yeah, 35. Uh, they're so quick to blame age, though, aren't they? And my, you know, I had a family history of premature menopause. So that's an even bigger reason for them to blame age. So we went away to try again. And I was so disheartened thinking, well, we'll try again. But why should I believe that anything's going to be different? And sure enough, we fell pregnant within a month or so after the test results came back. And it was another early miscarriage. And I, I, the darkest and lowest point I've probably ever had was around um, the third and fourth miscarriage because that's when you're like, this is not just bad luck. This is this is something that is keeps happening, and now I don't have any answers for why it keeps happening. And they're just sending me away and saying try progesterone with no evidence for why that would make a difference. So at that point, we decided to go private. So in the UK, you can go private. I had read about and heard about natural killer cells, reproductive immunology, and I just felt like that fitted for me. I had a very high immune system since I contracted dengue fever, of all things. I used to get colds like normal people, illnesses like normal people. And since I fought off dengue fever, I don't think I've ever had a cold since I've met my husband. I just don't really get ill. And that kind of fitted for me. So we went to a clinic that specialised in that. We got all the testing and it came back that I had a high um, NK cell activity. And my reproductive immunologist felt that 
it was high NK cells that were attacking my pregnancies. And if I was given a reproductive immunology protocol of steroids and intralipids, then he was confident I would be able to have a successful pregnancy. So that testing all came back in July 2019. And then we never, we never fell pregnant naturally again. And we never have fallen pregnant naturally again. And it felt so frustrating. We had this answer, this reason, this thing, something to try, and we couldn't try it. And then we went through infertility. So over a year of trying and just month after month of negative tests. And, you know, recurrent loss is awful and it's, it was horrible and it's devastating. And then infertility is devastating in different ways, I've found. And, I, you know, I think it's kind of unique to have experience of both. But going through infertility, you know, at least when I had a miscarriage, people would recognise why I was upset or send flowers or send a card or I could have, you know, some days off work. When you're just having a negative test every month, it's like there's no tangible loss that anybody can kind of validate for you or you don't feel like you can phone in sick from work. Well, what's wrong? Well, I'm just absolutely not able to get out of my bed because I've had another negative test. You don't feel like you can right, say right, that. Right. It's, right. So it, it was devastating in different and new ways and lonely and isolating in different and new ways. Then I'm so I'm aware this is a long story, but we No, no, no. A long Keep, time. Going. <laughs> um, Keep going. Keep so going, don't then, stop. <laughs> So then, I mean, yeah, it was just awful. Looking back now, I think, God, it was awful. It was so awful to be in the thick of it. And for anybody that's in the thick of it now, I don't know what your future or your outcome is, but I do know you won't be in the thick of it forever, one way or another. Then we were due to start IVF and then COVID happened, so we got delayed. So then we eventually started IVF in July 2020. We did, over in the UK, you get funded IVF through the NHS. In Scotland, we're very lucky you get three funded rounds. By and large, you know, there's no postcode lottery. Wherever you are, you get three rounds. There are some exceptions, age, if you've got other children, if you have a poor response or diminished ovarian reserve, but you should largely be entitled to three rounds, which is amazing. I think it's interesting if you have diminished ovarian reserve, they don't let you they'll wait and see what your response is and interestingly oh. i did get a diagnosis of diminished ovarian reserve which i don't know i think the diagnosis based on like one fsh reading is very flawed that's what my diagnosis was i think a number is just a number and until they see how you respond and how your body responds to stems and what your eggs look like in the dish it, it you know a, a number can be an indication but it's just an indication my first round didn't really go that well the nhs they didn't wait for a withdrawal bleed they started me on stims anyway you know if you were private you'd get a blood test to confirm that you were ready we didn't so then like i think nine days into stims i had a full-blown period and i was thinking oh you know this like it was just going really wrong it was going badly and they were saying we don't even know if to get to egg collection and i was thinking oh i think you started too early we did get to egg collection. I can't even remember how many eggs we got. I think we got five and we got two good quality embryos. So for being told you'll be lucky to get to egg collection, you've got diminished ovarian reserve, your whole problem is your age. I was delighted with two high quality embryos. 
we transferred one and we froze one. I think a few nights before transfer, they suddenly went back and said they wouldn't support my reproductive immunology protocol. They weren't supportive of me taking steroids. Nobody should have told me that they were. It was a pandemic. I shouldn't be weakening my immune system. Obviously, we lied and continued to take the steroids anyway, <laughs> but it was just a bit of it was a bit of a mess and it was really stressful. And it, it ultimately failed. It was a it, it was a negative test, which I think after having been pregnant four times, I just thought, well, IVF is the answer and it will work. And I was devastated that it didn't work. Absolutely devastated. It's all that build up, all that work, all that hope and expectation for nothing. And again, you have no answer for why it's not worked. And we decided instead of using our frozen embryo, we were going to go private and go to a different clinic who we felt would be more supportive, um, less of a stressful experience, and also would allow us to bank a frozen embryo. You can't do that with the NHS. Understandably, they're, 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 it's, it's funded, so you, you have to use up your embryos because you know it's not cost effective for a publicly funded health system to let you keep them in the freezer and do another full round. So... We did a second round at Christmas time, 2020. My response, like, you know, IVF, it's so interesting, the numbers. I mean, you know, I remember obsessively looking at people's numbers of how many eggs they got collected and then what the attrition rates were and da, 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 da. But it's so difficult to predict, you know. We got more eggs, but we ended up with the same number of embryos and they were poorer quality. So two reasonable quality embryos. Um, again, transferred one and froze one. Very lucky to have another one to freeze. Mm-hmm. And it was another failed transfer. Mm. Um, Were you on the immune protocol? Yep, I was on the immune protocol. I was I was doing everything. And, and at this stage, you're thinking, oh, okay. I mean, you're still just so frustrated. You've got this protocol to try, but you, you can't get pregnant to try it. So we now had two embryos in the freezer and I thought I, I made the decision again, more decisions. But this is a decision I'm so happy I made to do one more full round instead of transferring any frozen embryos. And people kept saying, oh, success rates are really good with frozen embryos. But I thought, no, while I'm geared up, I'm going to do one more fresh round because I think doing three rounds gives you a really good chance and shows your variation of response. And, you know, again, I've done research about the optimum number of rounds to do. And I, I was set one more fresh round. And I'm so glad we did because we had our best response that we'd had. I think we got like 14 eggs. And my doctor was saying, that's much more than expected for your age. And I'm thinking, I'm supposed to have diminished ovarian reserve. And you're just thinking, you're just thinking, do you know what? They know nothing. They know nothing. They can tell you <laughs> indications, but it's just that. There's so much they don't understand. And we ended up with four embryos from that round. I think wow. they're all pretty decent quality. We did a, our third fresh transfer and we got pregnant. So mm. April... 2021 we got pregnant and I god I remember seeing that test after that was two years since our last pregnancy and just I was so traumatized looking at all these negative tests and seeing that positive I just it was that proper burst into tears like just so relieved to see it and try, try a pregnancy that we thought might work because we were doing something different. We were on the steroids, we we're getting the intralipids. I was understandably extremely anxious during that pregnancy. 
just berating myself for any little thing, drinking coffee, mm-hmm. having sugar, all this stuff. But we got to the second trimester, you know, we got, mm-hmm. we saw a heartbeat for the first time. We mm-hmm. ended up going for loads of extra scans because I was so anxious all the time. So we, we saw him about once a week. Mm-hmm. And then we had our dating scan at 13 weeks. And mm-hmm. that is when it, our life changed forever. And the scan was just horrific. It was awful. And I can still, I can still hear the words. There's no easy way to say this. And they talked us through that things were were not good. Things didn't look good. We had to phone the main hospital. We had to arrange to go in for tests. We had ultimately 10 days of further tests, further scans, explorations, meetings with doctors. And, you know, we're told that our baby wasn't developing properly, wasn't healthy. in these situations, sometimes you're told that your baby is incompatible with life. We weren't told mm-hmm. that. It was what you would call a grey situation where mm-hmm. you know that your baby's not developing properly and they're not healthy. You're told that you could miscarry your baby's, well, there's a higher chance of your baby's heart stopping beating. You could have a stillbirth, could have a live baby who needs a lot of surgery mm-hmm. and either dies or survives or you know you could have a baby that does survive but has lifelong and life-limiting disability mm-hmm. and I just I mean I just you just are not prepared for that at all no. and it's so strange because you go for these scans and you never even let your mind think about what happens when people are told really bad news at these scans yeah um, and I found myself in a position I never thought I would find myself hoping to miscarry because mm. otherwise we were going to have to make the awful decision that we ultimately did make, ha- have an abortion. Let's be clear, that's what it is. Have a termination yeah. for medical reasons, a termination for fetal anomaly, compassionate induction, whatever you want to call it, it is an abortion. Yeah. And that is the decision we ultimately made, which, you know, I'm happy to talk about. And 10 days after that initial scan, we were induced and I had a labour and delivery for our little boy, Jack. So mm-hmm. he was just under 15 weeks. And then, yeah, we we grieved. We grieved. Um, there, You know, it, it was awful. It was horrible. It was also, you know, meeting a baby that we'd made was wonderful. You know, we looked at, mm-hmm. we, got, we got to meet him afterwards. He was in a little basket then he had a little hat on. You know, there were aspects of it that were really peaceful and beautiful and nice, but God, it's one of the hardest things we've ever gone through. Um, And the thought of trying again after that is like, I think I suppose the only thing that kept me going was technically our protocol had worked. It was just the worst luck in the world that he was never going to be a healthy baby. And And we had embryos. Took a, took a few months before we're even ready to think about it. You know, you just can't go there. You just can't think about it. But then you're also aware that, God, it's now been five years. Like, you know, we, we have to go back there at some point if this is what we want. After Jack was born, his placenta didn't come. I had to have surgery for his placenta. They couldn't get it all. I had to keep going back for rescans for the stuck piece of placenta. 
I had to have a second surgery. I'm now aware I've had three DNCs and again, my period didn't come back. And I knew, you know, that again, I met with doctors, raised my concerns about abdomens, was told, oh, it's very common what you're experiencing and thought, no, I am going private and we're arranging a hysteroscopy to have a look. There's no way we'd go for a transfer without having a look. So November 2021, Jack, Jack was born in July. 2021 in November 2021 we went for a hysteroscopy and they couldn't even get the camera through my cervix there were so many adhesions mm. so we know those adhesions were from the, the more recent DNCs because you know my cervix had to be clear for Jack to be born but once once they were in the intrauterine cavity there were also adhesions and scar tissue throughout and you know I asked them could some of that have been there since my DNC in 2018? Mm-hmm. And they said, there's no way to know for sure. But yeah, could have been. Um, it could mm-hmm. just be that you're more prone to scarring issues. So although I kind of expected it, it also was really devastating to think, oh, God, you know. Um, and that's another thing I say to people. When you're on this horrible journey, when you find an answer, that doesn't necessarily mean you should stop looking. So yes, we got told I had high NK cells and that could have been causing our losses. But actually, that doesn't mean there wasn't another reason, you know? It doesn't mean I didn't also have Ashermans and shouldn't have also pushed for a hysteroscopy then just to be sure. But I didn't, and again, I can't keep looking back. We had it treated by a really good surgeon. We had to have a follow-up hysteroscopy in January just to check that the adhesions hadn't returned. I think there's to give us like a five to eight percent chance of some scar tissue coming back. And we were given the all clear in January to to try again. Went for our transfer in April of this year, our first frozen transfer, fourth transfer total, and it worked first time. And I have to think that finding the Ashermans and treating the Ashermans had something to do with that. Um, Obviously, you know, a lot of transfers down to the embryo as well, but it worked. It worked. We got another positive, our sixth pregnancy in April this year. Um, Mm -hmm. And unbelievably, I am still currently pregnant with pregnancy number six. And this time, everything touch wood seems to be looking as it should. So, yeah. and I should say I'm, I'm, I'm on the reproductive immunology or I was in the first trimester for this pregnancy. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't, although I've had that Asherman's diagnosis and that, that could be her reason for losses, I wouldn't yeah. attempt a pregnancy without the NK cells protocol. I know it's, some people believe in it, some people don't, it's controversial. Yeah. There's no conclusive proof, but for me, I just wouldn't attempt a pregnancy without it ever again. Yeah. I think, and that's oh, where gosh. we are now. <laughs> yeah. Well, Oh my gosh, there's so much um, to talk about. <laughs> um, it's quite long. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. First, I, w- I want to thank you for sharing all of that with us. I know it's not easy. I know you've been through a lot to get to where you are today. So I know it's not easy to share. So first, I, w- I really want to thank you for opening up that space for us oh, and giving you. us the opportunity to to hear all of that. I know that it will be helpful for so many people to hear and understand your path. So 
First, thank you. I think it's important to say that it's not easy to share these stories. You know, people who come on to share these really, really hard, difficult times in their lives. And sometimes one of the most difficult things they'll ever have to go through to open up and, you know, give us the opportunity to kind of sit with you is really, really meaningful. So thank you for that first. Second, (laughs) second, do you think, and it's like, it's so hard, right? Because I've only had one pregnancy lost. I've only had one pregnancy. So I've kind of been somewhere in the middle where I it took me at the time. So when I first was attempting to get pregnant back in 2014, 2015, seems like forever ago, 2014, 2015, I remember thinking my friends had gotten pregnant so easily, accidental, things like that, right? And I remember thinking the when I did get pregnant, it took like four or five months. I was like, oh my gosh, it takes so long. <laughs> you know, like like you little did I know what was ahead of me, right? Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, four months. Could it take any longer? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so during that time, and then so I I got pregnant and then, you know, things were cruising along. And I remember thinking, I don't have any symptoms anymore. And so I called, I contacted my doctor and I said, Hey, I think something's going on. I'm not having any more symptoms because I used to be exhausted. Like during the day, I could barely like stay awake. I was just so tired all the time. And then I would get nauseated. Like throughout the day, I would just get all this nausea. And like I would sit there and go, Am I going to throw up? Am I going to not? It's almost better if you could throw up <laughs> instead yeah, of just sitting yeah. there with the feeling of like having to throw up. But so I remember thinking like, oh, I haven't felt that in a while and I'm not so tired as much and um, I'm not as tender anymore. I'm like, I wonder if something's up. So I contacted my doctor and they said, well, are you bleeding? I said, no. And they're like, just wait it out. Same thing, missed miscarriage. And I remember going in and they couldn't find the heartbeat and you know something's up. You know, you know, when you're laying there, you just know something is not right, because especially because they're looking for a really long time. And I kind of knew anyway, walking in, you know, because the symptoms were all gone. And I just had this feeling, I don't know. And I was presented with the same options you were, pill or DNC. And it and my situation was very similar to yours in that it was for me. I went in at like for the 11 or 12 weeks, it would have been 11 or 12 week gestation. And then um, they dated the fetus at, I think, seven weeks. So I had been plus or minus a month, you know, of no heartbeat. And so they gave me the option, pill or DNC. I chose the pill because I was like, well, you know, maybe, which is kind of different. And I think that's important to kind of discuss too, like my reasoning and your reasoning, everyone's going to choose their own thing. And so for me, I thought, well, I kind of want to just do it at home without anyone around. What I did not anticipate was the pain. (laughs) I lived, I lived too far away. So I would have had to be in hospital for the pill anyway. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I did it at home and I remember thinking like, oh, okay, no big deal. And the doctor was like, you will have, what did she say? She said something like, you'll have moderate cramping or something like that. Yeah. Menstrual style cramps. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like, like, like bad menstrual cramps. I think that's what it was. Bad menstrual cramps. I'm like, oh, I have menstrual cramps. I can handle this. This is no big deal. And then she's like, well, here's some pain medication. I was like, I don't need pain medication. I handle menstrual cramps all the time. It's going to be fine. She's like, no, just in case. So I, I was like, okay, fine. I'll just get it just in case. I have never felt this level of pain 
in my life. Like this was the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. And I was not prepared for that. And I was not prepared for how long I was going to feel that pain for. Because I just thought, okay, like, you know, once I pass the products of conception, I will be fine. Like everything will go back to normal. That was not the case. And number two, nobody prepared me for what that was going to be like to pass the products of conception. Nobody ever talked about that. Because you pass it at home, and I happen to be sitting on the commode on the toilet, and I remember thinking, what do I do now? Like, it just felt wrong to flush it down the toilet, but what else am I, I what do I do? Yeah, like, there's, nobody there's no pain, talks there's about no, no prep for the physical side, no prep for the mental side, the emotional side, the practical yeah. side, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, these decisions, they're asking you to make an informed choice. But you can't because they're not giving you all the information to mm-hmm. to have <laughs> an informed choice. Yeah. Well, and and I remember during all that pain, and this is back in like 2015, 2014, 2015, and Instagram was around, but it certainly isn't what it is today. I think blogs were much bigger. So I was on Google Googling if this was normal what do I do? What did other people do? Because in that moment, I had no idea what to do. And so I was Googling, trying to figure out what other people were doing because I had no idea because I didn't know like what to do with the situation that was presented in front of me. And I remember thinking, sitting there like, what do I do? I just let it sit there for a little bit because I just, I was like, what do I do? Do I like, I don't, and I don't think this is discussed ever. Well, I haven't heard anybody talk about it, you know, like how, what do you do when no. you miscarry at home? You know? Yeah. And and then the feelings that come with that. When I was faced with this miss miscarriage that I'd never heard of, I later found out some of my friends who had miscarriages and I knew had miscarriages, that's what they had. But they didn't go into detail and people don't mm-hmm. talk about detail or they don't talk about methods of dealing with it and what they chose and how they chose it and what the pain was actually like and medical practitioners tell you oh it's like it's like bad menstrual cramps but we know that some women have such bad menstrual cramps that they are bedridden and it's not normal and it doesn't you know and if this were men going through this I think they'd be listened to more about oh yes pain I think they'd be informed more about what their choices were and given the right information you you weren't adequately prepared for how painful and traumatic medical would be I wasn't given any information about the fact that surgical could cause scarring you know we're making choices and they're not informed choices because we aren't given the information that we need to make informed choices yeah I mean it was harder than I thought it would be because like you I was told these things happen. These things happen. Everyone goes through. And I know it does. It's true. I mean, if we were to all truly talk about, if everyone could raise their hand anonymously and say, who has had a miscarriage? I am sure there would be many, 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 many more women who say, yes, that's me. I've had a miscarriage, right? So I agree it's common. But at the same point in time, it's hard when you hear that. And that's the last time you were ever pregnant. That was the last time you were ever able to become pregnant. You know what I mean? And then it's like, it's really hard. So, you know, I had the one pregnancy. And then since then, it's just been this like battle of like not dealing with infertility. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, both sides of that. And it's both painful. You know, some people who are like, oh, well, at least you can get pregnant. You're like, yeah, but 
like when you get pregnant and you get you experience the loss from that like that's that's still painful each time like and the anxiety that comes on from you know each day that passes not knowing if that's going to happen i mean i can only imagine but i i mean you can speak to that as well yeah i mean that's the hardest thing about this journey this path this shitty place we find ourselves if somebody could just tell you look, is this going to be worth it or not? You know, all this fighting and this treatment and this these decisions I'm having to make, is it going to be worth my time or am I going to feel like it's a big waste? And unfortunately, that's the one thing you can't have is a crystal ball to see how it's it's going to end. And it's it's awful and it's relentless. So misunderstood by people who aren't going through it, I think, or so underestimated um, by outsiders that how relentless and, and awful and heartbreaking and isolating and damaging for your mental health, your physical health, your emotional health, your financial health it is. And that's that's why I keep talking about it, because people don't talk about miscarriage enough. They don't talk about infertility enough. They don't talk about TFMR enough. And it just means there are people going through it in isolation and in shame. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, too. Like, I think getting that hit after hit after hit of negative information of, you know, negative news, you know, during this whole thing, it really wears on you. And I think before, and I'll be honest, before I went through all this, I don't think I fully understood that. No, you know, it's like, yeah, like the negative pregnancy test thing, you know, it's like, oh, well, it's just a negative pregnancy test. But when you've been doing that for a really long time, it just is like soul crushing, you know, Mm -hmm. where, Mm -hmm. You feel like, why? Like, why? Someone explain to me why. And, you know, you know, the person 10 feet away from me is able to do this, you know, while on heroin. <laughs> like, I'll just be honest. I've yeah, thought that yeah, thought. No, <laughs> no I, I, the job I do, I see, I see obviously pregnancies in lots of different situations. My husband is in the police. He sees, you know, pregnant people, yeah, on heroin. And it feels very unfair and it feels it feels awful and then when you're in it for such a long time not only does everybody seem to be able to get pregnant but even for me even the people in my life who were also going through infertility or also had losses were were ending up with living children and it felt like it was working out for every single person apart from me and in the back of your head is well there's going to be that one person it doesn't work out for is that going to be me is that going to be us yeah and you know the thing I think we also don't talk about too, and you bring up a good point is, you know, a lot of times, and it's, I I think it's become part of our conversation in our daily life, right? Is like, oh, do you have any children? Oh, do you have any children? Do you plan on having any children? You know? And I was just talking about this with someone last week and I'm like, maybe my answer should be, no, I don't have any living children. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because like, it's not that we necessarily want to go into all these stories to strangers and things like that because honestly I feel like it's not really worth my time or energy but at the same point in time I'm like maybe these are the questions you shouldn't be asking <laughs> you know like my, for some my, people it's a deep wound I think my, my my hero is my mom I remember my mom got to a stage where you know she gets asked all the time do you have any grandkids or oh wait oh next week a bit late or oh you know and she would she would say to me gleefully and then they ask, 
And then I told them, and she would get this real kick of saying, <laughs> well, actually, Nick's had two miscarriages, Nick's had three miscarriages, Nick's had four miscarriages, and you should have seen their face. And there is, you know, aspects of, I think I did get to a stage where I'm like, I don't, I don't care anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to say to people, I'm going to tell people, you know, and if they can't handle the answer, they shouldn't have asked the question. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, I'm getting to that point. <laughs> You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, stop asking me. And it just get, you know, and you feel like when you're on this like infertility path or whatever you want to call it, I feel like, and I'm sure you've experienced this too. I feel like everyone around me is either pregnant or having a baby. And I'm just like, I, I had someone come into the office who's a, a, a coworker who just had a baby, like brought, brought in her baby. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I felt like a jerk, but I did not ask to see that baby because I just couldn't yeah. do it. You know, but, but, but this is another thing that it, one of the it really bugs me, and it's one of the hardest things about this journey is that whenever I've done a post about, you know, it's absolutely okay if you feel devastated when you see a pregnancy announcement, there's always someone who will say, Oh, you, you should just be happy for other people. And I just think, Wow, wouldn't it be great to be as simplistic as your brain is, where yeah, you can just be happy for other people. All emotions that you experience in life are normal and natural, but most importantly, they're not under your control. The emotions you experience are not within your control, so you cannot just be happy for someone. If you experience an emotion, it's no more within your control than a bodily function. And sometimes the pain and the sadness and the trauma that you're experiencing is so big that there's no room for happiness for others. And that isn't a reflection of them, it's a reflection of where you are. And sometimes people will even message me to say, you know, I've had X number of losses and I'm nothing but happy for my friends who are pregnant. And I think, okay, one, great. Do you want me to throw yeah. you a parade? <laughs> two, <laughs> you know, two, ah, uh, the lady does protest too much. Like in this, this world we live in, we are told that, Certain emotions are bad or negative or ugly. And so some people's, their shame of feeling these emotions is so deep rooted that they can't even admit that they feel them. And one of the biggest and most important things to learn when you're going through this is to be forgiving of yourself and kind to yourself and accepting of all your emotions. If you feel hideously jealous of someone or hideously angry that you can't get pregnant or you're absolutely devastated at seeing your fifth pregnancy announcement of the week, if you try and deny that feeling, it just festers and you develop feelings of shame and self-loathing. You have to be able to accept those feelings. They're normal, they're natural, they're not under your control in order to process them and move on. Yeah, you bring up a really good point because I think that's really, really important to say that whatever your feeling is, they are valid. Like whatever, if you're feeling anger, sadness, happiness, whatever, they are valid. It, the hard part is you have no idea what anyone else's other stories, because it's not just fertility re related. There could be other underlying trauma, other underlying experiences that have contributed to these feelings. And we don't ever know what anyone else's story is. And if they're feeling yeah. sad or whatever, I'm like, that's valid. If you feel sad, you feel sad. It is mm -hmm. okay to feel sad. I'm not going to take that away from you. I don't think you should stay sad forever because I don't think that's healthy either. I think that there should be tools that you can use to try and cope with those feelings because staying in that pit forever is not healthy either. 
No. And, and I, I mean, you know, life is full of emotions and actually, you know, people think that certain emotions are bad, but, you know, it's not nice to be angry. If, if we didn't get angry about big social injustices like racism or homophobia, then we wouldn't, we wouldn't do something about it and, and then act change. It's all emotions are, are natural and normal. If we didn't, the reason we grieve for losses is because we love deeply. And actually, you know, if that's the price to pay, I'm, I'm happy to pay that. You know, I'm happy to, to go through the sad and the hard times because they're awful. But then when joy does come, you, you never take it for granted. And that's that's something I'm kind of learning as I'm going through this, that, you know, bad times won't last forever. And, and you know, the pain associated with infertility or loss will always be there, but it won't always be as raw as maybe it feels right now. And you will experience happiness and joy again at some point. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. We're just going to take a quick break, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Now back to our episode. But yeah, people are very judgmental of, of you know, you know, you're saying it feels like everybody gets pregnant. I mean, when, when we were pregnant with Jack, it felt like everybody around us was pregnant. And I remember my friend came to do a face-to-face pregnancy announcement because she had been a great friend through this and she assumed because I was pregnant, it would be fine. And every time somebody announced a pregnancy when we were pregnant with Jack, it just filled me with this sense of dread that the more other people it was working out for, the more we were going to be the ones that it went wrong for. And, you know, I remember after the third colleague of my husband's announced they were pregnant, he texted me and I just had a breakdown. We had to go for an extra scan that day because I just had this foreboding sense of every person that it works out for is is. It means there's less chance it's going to work out for us, which shouldn't be true. But in that case, it was true and and, and it happened again. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and the other thing, too, is, you know, being a psychologist, you know, one would think, oh, you have a leg up on dealing with this because you have all the tools you could potentially use. But, you know, (laughs) even if you have all the tools, it can be very difficult. So, you know, some people who are going through this who are like, oh, is this weird that I'm having such a hard time? It's not. It's not weird that you're struggling. It's not weird you're having a hard time. Yeah. And I think for me, I say a lot, it sounds really cheesy, but being a psychologist is not just a job for me. It's like who I am, you know, understanding human behavior and being interested by that is is part of my whole personality and I used to be so emotionally repressed really dealt with things in really negative ways and for me training to become a psychologist was like free therapy and the free you know I began to understand why I was the way I am but I I think being a psychologist doesn't make it any easier to to go through what we've gone through but for me it makes it easier for me to tell my story you know I'm I'm I refuse to have any shame about decisions we've made or emotions I feel because I kind of understand why we are the way we are. Um, And I want to normalise, you know, doctors need to go to the doctor or dentists need to go to the dentist or psychologists need to see psychologists. I've had counselling to help me through this. In the UK, we're still really bad at viewing 
seeking support and help as a weakness rather than a strength. We have this keep calm and carry on attitude and, you know, don't talk about private things. And yeah, I'm, I'm really passionate about normalising that everybody needs support with their mental health as much as they do with their physical health, including psychologists or counsellors or therapists. Yeah, that's the same thing in the US. You know, there's still the stigma tied to asking for help. And if you need a therapist, counselor, whatever, that that means that there's something wrong with you. I think, I mean, I think it's a shame that we don't just all start with one in childhood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like yeah. the reality is we probably all should have. I think we'd be all better humans at this point in time if we all started when we were kids, you know? Yeah. <laughs> But like, you know, I I think the reality is, and I try and stress this, you know, on my podcast, and I tried to stress this in the stuff that I do too, that it is okay to ask for help. Whatever support you need during this whole process, it's okay to look for help and support. It doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean that you're not handling it. You know, whether it's, you know, negative pregnancy tests or if you're, doing timed intercourse or, you know, IVF or recurrent pregnancy loss, any part of the spectrum, if you're experiencing loss and struggling with it, that is a valid feeling. And if you're struggling, it's okay Mm -hmm. to ask for help. Because I think some people will kind of gaslight themselves and say like, oh, well, it's just timed intercourse. It's not like we've had four miscarriages or we're going through IVF or whatever. And so they discount their own experience. And I I just want to make it okay for people to know that it doesn't matter where on the spectrum of things you're trying, loss is loss and grief no, is grief. No. And it's important to to get help for that and support. I try and give that message as well. I, I get a lot of people messaging me and, you know, they'll say, oh, you know, I haven't been through as much as you or, oh, and I, and I think you don't, you don't need to say that. You know, the worst thing you've ever been through is the worst thing you've ever been through until you go through something that's worse. You know, for me, my TFMR is the worst thing I've ever been through. But I wouldn't have appreciated somebody telling me when I'd had a miscarriage, well, at least you've never had a TFMR. You know, it right. doesn't work like right. that. It's, it's right. pain is pain, loss is loss, trauma is trauma. Yes. And yeah. You know. Yeah, and I say it all the time where it's it's not the suffering Olympics. We're not trying to outsuffer each other and who's got the worst, you know, story or whatever because it's not about yeah. that. It's just about, you know, this whole space is wonderful because I've found a lot of people who are very supportive and, you know, no matter where you are on the spectrum of experiences you've had, they're there to support you. So I think that that's wonderful. And I certainly think your account is one of those that is exceptionally supportive of anybody who's going through any of this. Um, but yeah, and I mean, I, I said at the start when we had our first early pregnancy, chemical pregnancy, early pregnancy, well, chemical pregnancy, whatever you want to call it, it wasn't devastating. But then we have had another early pregnancy, chemical pregnancy, that was absolutely devastating. After that, I would wake up every morning just wanting to go back to sleep because it was easier than facing the day. So that when I said that, you know, that first chemical pregnancy wasn't devastating, that's not me saying a chemical pregnancy isn't devastating. It's completely dependent on individuals and situations. And that's why there is no comparison. And even if you've been through the same thing as someone else, there's still no comparison because you are not that person. You don't have their experiences. So, yeah. And 
gosh. So this is the other hard part of the conversation. So TFMR is just so difficult to kind of walk through. And for the parents who got the similar news that you did, that they have to make this decision, what do you recommend for them? How would you walk them through the process of how to make that decision? You know, what are some things to consider, um, you know, help to get I mean, or resources? It's just one of the most awful, devastating places to find yourself. I mean, I, I, right now it's a big political issue. After it happened, after it happened to us, it, when it when it initially happened, I remember saying to my husband, "Well, we can't tell anybody. We have to just say it was another miscarriage," and that was the shock and the grief and the shame and the and very quick, you know, he was like, "Okay, whatever." I mean, <laughs> not agreeing with me, but not daring to disagree with me. Just whatever you say, yes. and very and do you know what? In so many ways, that would have been so easy. It would have been so easy for me to say I had a fifth miscarriage. Nobody's going to question it. But that is exactly why I didn't because. Why should I? Why should people feel that they cannot have gone through the worst experience of their life and they can't even tell the truth about it because people judge them? And it's something I'm very passionate talking about. And I honestly don't care if people judge me, you know, but I just ask that they have the respect to do it silently. It's okay if you don't agree with the choice that we made. It's okay if you judge me for the choice that we made. But but what does telling me that bring? Does it it make you feel good to judge me because if the mm-hmm. only way you can make yourself feel good is to judge someone else you need to work on that and I think one of the reasons it's not easy for me to tell my story but I I don't mind telling my story is that my husband and I have never ever questioned whether that was the right decision for us mm-hmm. our family for Jack we've never mm-hmm. questioned that we spent 10 days You know, this is the other thing that really annoys me is politicians with anti-choice propaganda will perpetuate this myth that these decisions are taken lightly, that people just find themselves in the second trimester and change their minds. Or, you know, that other people who are anti-TFMR will say, well, you you just want a baby that's perfect, which, Mm -hmm. you know, people are not making these decisions because of a missing limb or a cleft palate, these are serious structural abnormalities that will impact the quality of life of their child if their child lives. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's the arguments that are in the public just really underestimate how much you deliberate, you discuss things with your doctors, you do further tests. You know, there's people have sent me news stories saying, oh, you know, the NIPTI isn't completely accurate or prenatal tests get things wrong. People don't go from, oh, a NIPTI to a termination. You go back Mm -hmm. and forth doing amniocentesis or CVS or scans or monitoring how a cystic hygroma is changing or what's happening Mm -hmm. with drops. It's so much more complex than it's portrayed um, by the anti-choice propaganda. Mm -hmm. Anyway, for me and my husband, it was 10 days of Every single day we would wake up and, you know, you'd have that blissful 30 seconds where you forget what's happening. Then it comes crashing down on you. We would, some someone would make the coffees and we would sit and talk for hours. Then we'd stop talking, we'd go for a walk, we'd cry, we'd watch a crappy 90s movie. Then we'd have another couple of hours talking about it. 
you talk about the most unimaginable things, you know, best case scenarios, worst case scenarios. If your child does live, what would their life look like? What kind of school would they go to? What is their adulthood going to look like? What provisions are available for if they have severe disabilities? Your older parents, what happens when you're not around? They may, may not have any siblings. You know, it, it's it's heavy discussions. And the key is, is communication, being able to communicate with your partner, your family, your doctors. But ultimately, we always knew what the right decision for us was. And we knew that if one of us said, no, let's let's just have this baby. We want a baby so badly. Let's just have it. Mm-hmm. We knew the other one would have gone along with it. But we knew in, that, in our heart that that wasn't right for our baby. So mm-hmm. I think most people going through this will know what the right choice is for them. Mm-hmm. People get in touch with me all the time. You know, people sometimes will, will tell me they've had bad news and I'm maybe the only person they've shared because they don't feel they can share with their family. And I would never give anybody any sort of directive advice. Everybody's situation is absolutely their decision and in a way you want someone to to help you make the decision but nobody can not even your doctors can tell you what to do and then once you've made the decision I think the advice I would give is looking for support support networks Um, I absolutely gorged myself on podcasts that I could find by women who'd had terminations for medical reasons and I listened to them obsessively and I think part of it was this is someone who survived this. This is survivable. I will survive this because these are people talking about doing it and and listen to them. They're still okay. They're still surviving. So that gave me a lot of mental kind of strength to know that we could do it. In the UK, we have ARC, Antenatal Results and Choices. They're a helpline you can phone for, again, non-directive discussions about, about the situation. I found pages on Instagram, TFMR Mamas, Time to Talk TFMR, the TFMR Doula. I would obsessively read posts. You know, one of the first posts I read was, I see you, Mama, sitting in your scan, watching your baby waving at you from the screen. But it's not a normal scan. It's a scan to confirm that things are not okay. And I'd had that scan. I'd had that scan where I couldn't look at the screen and Jack was waving and I couldn't look at the screen because I knew that it was going to be thought we saw him Mm. so all you can do is you know what decision is right for you and once you've made that decision it's about trying to find some sort of support and community and validation for all of the feelings that you're Mm -hmm. experiencing and knowing that that you'll get through it you will get through it even though it doesn't feel like it but you you can't skip can't skip through it that's all I wanted to do was skip to the day after the termination or the week or the month after but you can't but you can survive hard things and I'm a firm believer you know some people in this journey hate being called strong I don't mind it but I don't Mm -hmm. think going through hard things makes you strong going Mm -hmm. through hard things just forces you to utilize a strength that you never knew you had Mm -hmm. Um, but you do you do have it I promise you you do have it yeah. And I, I you bring up a couple important things. I think one, when you have family who is not supportive of this, mm-hmm. you know, of having to make this decision, and it's not an easy decision, you know, people who are not in, and I haven't had to make this decision, so I don't want to pretend like I know, but people who are not in this space can't begin to understand what that's like to have to make that choice. 
parents included, like your own parents, you know, included. So, you know, what do you do? What would you recommend for people who have families, fr- friends, close, you know, close family members or something like that who are not supportive of that? Because it's a hard decision enough, right? It, it's hard enough. And then you have family members who are, you know, crashing down on you saying like, you know, being negative about the decision that you have to make or, you know, if, if you've already made the decision, not supportive of it. I mean, you you don't have to share anything more than what you're comfortable with. You don't have to tell the truth. You don't know. You don't owe anybody anything. You can tell family members that you've had a miscarriage. There is nothing wrong with that. You can say that you've had an incompatible with with life diagnosis if you've had a grey diagnosis. There's no shame in that. There's nothing wrong with that. You have to do what you have to do to protect your heart people who Mm -hmm. haven't been in this situation do not understand it and they cannot understand it yeah empathetic and compassionate people can try it's very hard I mean our families are very supportive and we haven't been in that situation and you know what in the UK there's generally an assumption that people are pro-choice you know over here it's I think it's a bit different to in other countries but I would say if you find yourself in this position, be guarded with your heart and your story, you know, take time to process and make your decision as a couple or as a close-knit family and consider, you know, what people's reactions will be before you tell them and maybe test out, test out, you know, how you think they're going to react by giving them very small bits of information, but you don't owe anybody the full story you know that's between you and your doctor um Mm -hmm. and within me being open about our story we have certain boundaries we don't talk about what was was found on jack's gown we don't talk about what tests found i don't want to find myself backed into a corner where i have to justify how bad things could have been that's not how i want to remember jack either so within telling people the truth or your story it's absolutely healthy to have boundaries within that. Yeah. No, to I keep you safe. Right. Yes. Yes, for sure. I think that's really wonderful advice because, you know, I, I can see that some people might be struggling and not have, you know, very supportive families. And so it's nice to have that validation that it's okay to not share as much or, you know, share whatever you're not comfortable with and you can tell them whatever you want and without shame, you know, you shouldn't not necessarily do it with shame, you know, because of the decision you had to make, you know, whatever decision you made is right for you. And I think that's another difficult thing to process sometimes too. Yeah. And people are having to process their own shame around their own decisions, forgive themselves. I don't think they have anything to forgive themselves for, but they might. It's very, very complicated. Even even within the TFMR community, there's judgment. I have had people message me to say that they've terminated for X reason, but they would never terminate for Y reason. And I think Mm -hmm. you are someone who knows you are judged for the decision you make, yet you are judging someone else. For me, that's about them having their own shame and guilt to work through. They haven't forgiven themselves. So they make themselves feel better by passing judgment on other people. I think we can always learn and grow by holding up a reflection to our own reactions and usually these extreme or strong judgmental reactions 
are a sign that we have work to do on ourselves. And I, I yeah. you know, when people send me mean messages or make mean comments, I always just think you should live your life looking at what your intentions were. You know, if you say or do something, were your intentions good and kind and respectful? People messaging me tell me that they would never terminate for X reason. They don't have good intentions. And, you know, I'm proud to try, <laughs> strive to live my life yeah. with good intentions, to be kind and respectful of other people. And that helps me not take negative comments seriously by yeah. thinking, well, do you know what? I, I, would, I would rather go about life with kind and good intentions than, than that person is. Yeah. I mean, it's just so it's a hard enough space to be in. I think people shouldn't try and, you know, beat themselves up too much over what other people are saying or their comments is a lot of it. I don't, I don't want to be too general or broad <laughs> in that accusation, but you know, a lot of it is just ignorance, not knowing or understanding what it's mm -hmm. like to be in that position mm -hmm. or not ever having lived that position or, or fear, you know, like you or fear. Yeah. you know, people that, hearing the news that you're developing much wanted baby is incompatible with life or severely ill mm -hmm. is unthinkable so people don't want to think yeah. about it and it's and they're scared of thinking about it and so they react by thinking well that's not what i would do and i wouldn't do this and yeah, yeah it's it's ignorance it's naivety it's fear shame mm -hmm. yeah and that goes not just for tfmr but people are judgmental about using donor eggs people are judgmental about using donor sperm people are judgmental about ivf people are judgmental about oh IVF. yeah like, yeah i shouldn't be doing ivf because it's against yeah. god's plan and it's against nature yeah yeah mm -hmm. not that that's you know any more or less than tmf T tfmr or anything like that that's not what i'm trying to say i'm, I'm just saying that you can use some of this advice too for whatever yeah, you're absolutely battling always gonna have opinions on what you do and some of those opinions i mean some of the things I've heard since being a public account, you know, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, sometimes it's just hard to take people seriously. Yeah, but I think the advice can be applicable to whatever your situation is. There will always be people who don't understand. And, and that is why it's so important to seek out some sort of support or community of people who do understand to validate the way you are feeling and the emotions you are having and the experiences you're going through. And, you know, you've had a lot of difficult experiences on along this kind of path. Do you, what do you think has been the most helpful thing for you to kind of get through all of this? I think what I touched on before, being very kind and forgiving to yourself and accepting your emotions. I have been in the darkest, darkest place where I struggled to get out of bed I remember after I think my fourth loss I just was struggling so much and I woke up one day and my husband must have phoned one of my very good friends and she was working from my living room and and you know that for me was a sign they were really worried about me and looking back I was genuinely depressed and I probably could have gone on medication I didn't and I you know that was I still had two years of infertility and failed transfers to face if I'd known that that was ahead of me and a TFMR to face, I probably yeah. wouldn't have got up and kept going. And in a way, I'm glad I didn't have a crystal ball because actually things got a lot worse, but my mental health didn't get worse. So I'm very aware that it's easy for me to say things will get better and it will get easier because I'm currently pregnant. But for me, 
things had got better even before that, mm-hmm. it's really helpful to think of this as a chapter in your life. That really helped me that, yes, it's a shitty chapter. And yes, mm-hmm. it's going on for way longer than you want it to. Yeah. But no matter how it ends, and it might end the way you want it to, it might not. For us, you know, we didn't know if it would end in a living biological baby, an adoptive baby, or no baby. Mm-hmm. But I really tried to focus on one day I will be out of this chapter. I'll be in the next chapter. I don't know what that's going to look like, but mm-hmm. I won't be feeling this raw, awful pain forever. And I also tried really hard to expand my definition of happiness because when you're going through infertility and loss, you're so focused on a baby is the happy ending, a baby is the happy ending, that you kind of exclude all these other aspects of life that can be happy in terms of moving forward, being childless, changing your job, going on, you know, traveling the world, having lots of pets. I tried really hard to expand my definition of what my future happiness could look like. And also just the most helpful thing is community, you know, finding people who understand what you're going through. In real life, that can be hard because even if you've got friends who who are really good and understand, they likely have got their own life stuff going on. They may be having kids. So finding that support network, it might be online. um, It might be through counselling. It might be through group counselling. And since COVID, there's so many online support groups and it's amazing. And it's like, why weren't we doing this earlier? Or finding Instagram accounts to follow or finding support forums. You know, when I was going through recurrent miscarriage, there were Facebook groups I joined around recurrent miscarriage. And just you could just pour your heart into a post. You can do it anonymously now. And instantly lots of people are saying, yep. That's exactly how I feel too, or that's exactly where I am too. So finding some sort of support networks, whether it's in person, online, is hugely validating for whatever part of your your journey you're on. And I try to not leave things on a negative note. So what are what do you think is? I know there's been a lot of negative, but what do you think has been something positive that's come out of all of this for you? I probably have a few positives. And mm-hmm. it's funny because you can think about post-traumatic growth, you know, growth that happens as a result of trauma. I can think of many positives. That doesn't mean that I'm glad any of this happened. You know, right. if I could change it, I would. I would never have chosen to go gone through TFMR. I wished more than anything that Jack had been healthy and he would be a little 10-month-old boy right now. But I am also glad that I am aware of TFMR, I'm aware of this fierce TFMR community, and I have developed this passion for talking out about abortion. I was always pro-choice, but I wouldn't have ever necessarily spoken out about it. But now I'm glad I'm aware of all the awful political things that are going on. You know, some of my friends that are pro-choice are not aware of, you know, they don't really know much about Wade versus Roe because it's in America or some of the changes that have happened in European countries recently. They're not aware of that. And I'm glad to be part of that community and and a voice for that community. Also changes in myself that I think are positive. Yes, there's negative things. I'm much more anxious than I used to be. I will always have bitterness about how our story has gone. 
but I also think I'm much more empathetic and compassionate and empowered. You know, I've, I've had to be strong when I didn't know I could be strong, and that can be very empowering. And the third thing would be my relationship with my husband. You know, you get married and it's for better or worse, and you don't imagine how bad the worst could be. And our, our marriage is by no means per- perfect. We have arguments about stupid household things and decide yes. we're not talking to each other but ultimately <laughs> when it comes to big serious issues this has I think bad things can make or break you and this has really made mm-hmm. us and the, the kind of love and respect that we have for each other is you, we're so aware of that having gone through what we've gone through so yeah yeah those would be my main my main positives yeah I think I think too you know something that I've kind of learned along the way though I'm obviously, you know, not done with my path. But another thing that I kind of learned was to kind of start to speak up for myself. I wouldn't say that I'm really great at it yet, but I'm starting to find my voice when things Mm -hmm. don't feel right. And Mm -hmm. to say, hey, what about this? Or I really have a concern about this. Can we talk about this? You know, it's been, I'm trying to do it more it's not been easy because it's, it's kind of hard. against my norm to just be quiet and just do what I'm told kind of thing. But I, I think that's the other imbalance. thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Uh, there's a power imbalance when you're in a situation with a medical professional who is, you know, has years of training over something and you don't, it's, it's intimidating and it's really hard to speak out for yourself and speak up for yourself. Yeah. So I'm, I'm learning to do that. And I think a lot of people who've been through this or have also learned that, you know, I really do need to start to speak up and I do need to ask questions and you can do it in a respectful and kind way. You don't have to be a jerk about it, you know, but I think if it sits uneasy for you and you're uncomfortable, then I think it's important to say something and to just ask the question and hopefully get a response. But if it doesn't feel right, then it's okay to get a second opinion. It's okay to find a different doctor who's better suited yeah. for you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I try and remind people of that too, is they're not your best friend. You know, It's okay to break up with them if it means that mm-hmm. you, know, you don't feel like you're compatible because then you're just going to be butting heads the whole time. And you know that's not necessarily a great space to be in either. So that's another thing that I, I, I've kind of learned. So I think to your but point, again, too, we, sh- we should all be doing that from the start, yes. but we're not, we're yes. all the same. And, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a lesson you learn the hard way. Um, yeah. And with regrets and yeah, it's very Yeah. Hard. And not unlike yourself, you know, with your Ashermans, I remember thinking like, I wonder if I have endometriosis and it kind of just has been, you know, sitting at the, you know, back of my mind. And I would ask gently, <laughs> do you think this could be endometriosis? No, no, it's probably not. You don't have all the typical symptoms because I don't stay home from work. I don't lay on the ground and writhe in pain. You know, I go to work and, but I do wake up in the middle of the night from, you know, pain from my period. Mm -hmm. It will wake me up from my sleep, you know? And I just kind of thought, okay, well, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe, you know, and you kind of like talk yourself out of it. And then, you know, sure enough, a year later, I finally had someone who said, okay, let's explore it. And I had endometriosis. I'm like, oh, why didn't I say anything Uh, sooner? Why didn't I push a little harder? But it's infuriating because that's exactly what I think. Why didn't I go to like a sixth doctor after I'd already spoken to five? And no, we shouldn't be in this situation. And why are we in 2022? And people are just starting to, you know, 
say actually it's not acceptable that women are in severe gynecological pain every single month you know why mm-hmm. is this just being said now and again you know not to make man bash in any way but if yes. this was men that were experiencing this we would not be in this situation if it was men that yes. were having abortions we would not be in this situation and endo mm-hmm. abstinence and lots of other things are vastly underdiagnosed so the statistics on how common they are are completely useless and mm-hmm. they when they are diagnosed, they by and large take several years to be diagnosed. And it's not okay that we're in this situation. And it's not okay that I think things are only just starting to change now. And maybe maybe they're not starting to change. Maybe I'm just more aware of it because I'm immersed in this female gynecological reproductive community. (laughs) So, yeah, it's infuriating. Yes, for sure. We have some questions that were submitted for today. So first one was, I know we answered this earlier, but I'll have you answer it again. Have you checked your NK cells? If they were high, have you tried medicine or diet to lower it? Yeah, so they can test your NK cells either by a uterine um, biopsy, I think, test or a blood test. I had a blood test and it found I had a normal um, number of NK cells, but high activity. So I was put on a specific protocol of steroids and interlipids. I did look into diet. Um, Unbiased Science Podcast do a great episode on the AIP diet, and there's just not the evidence. And actually, restrictive eating, we have to be really careful about, especially when we're looking into pregnancy. I had quite a low BMI, so for me, restrictive eating is just not an option. And actually, not restricting eating is not good for my mental health. You know, I'd have, if I did the anti-inflammatory diet, I'd have to cut out things that I really like. So when I listened to that podcast, I was really happy to hear that actually they, they kind of debunked it. So if you want to make a dietary change and that makes you feel good and makes you feel in control and makes you feel like you're doing something, absolutely, go for it. If there's not the evidence and it's going to be stressful, don't do it. That would be mm-hmm. my kind of view. And the next question is, how do you avoid being afraid all the time while pregnant after many losses? When I was pregnant with Jack, my anxiety was sky high. And I was very, if I craved a can of Coke and I had a tiny, like children's size can of Coke, I berated myself and thought, oh my God, I've, I've ruined everything. Going through TFMR where Jack was never going to be healthy helped me let go of a lot of self-blame that I didn't even realise I'd been harbouring. You know, I didn't rest enough. I should have known something was wrong. I had too much sugar. I didn't eat healthily enough. No, Jack was never going to be healthy. And that meant that when I became pregnant this time, I was so much kinder to myself. If I wanted a coffee, I could have a coffee. You're allowed 200 mg of caffeine a day. And it helped me going through TFMR was awful but it helped me kind of have more of a mindset of it's either going to work or it's not and there's Mm -hmm. nothing that I do that leads to miscarriage or means that it doesn't work it's Mm -hmm. completely out of my control it also helped me when we lost Jack I really wished I'd enjoyed being pregnant with him I was stressed and anxious Mm. the whole time so as soon as I was as soon as this embryo was transferred, I was determined to enjoy the time I had with it. Going through mm-hmm. the FMR taught me that your time with a pregnancy is so precious. Mm-hmm. If it's going to be cut short, 
it's going to be devastating regardless. You can't prepare yourself for it being devastated by being worried the whole time. So mm -hmm. I was determined that I was going to enjoy it. And that, that's been a mindset that I, I found most helpful. And distractions and relaxation. You know, when you do things like mindfulness or breathing exercises, it helps to rewire your brain to be less anxious. So those would mm -hmm. be other things I would kind of focus on. And escapism, when you're going through this awful stuff, I've been reading the Harry Potter books this year because you just escape <laughs> yeah. into another, another yeah. universe. So anything that yeah. for you is positive, happy escapism would mm -hmm. be another recommendation. No, that's great. And maybe it's not Harry Potter. Maybe it's Fifty Shades or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's for you. <laughs> you know. Yes. Hunger Games, whatever you want to read. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. There's most of us love reading on on this little corner of Instagram. And there's loads of accounts yeah. reading like fairy smut novels this night. So whatever <laughs> floats your boat, yeah, something just yes. to completely escape from from the reality you're living in. Yes. Um, another question. Um, recently a new follower and wondering if he found a cause for your losses. I'm still searching for answers for mine. Yeah, I mean, like I say, it's it's one of the cruelest things that you'll never really get definitive proof, unless maybe you lose a pregnancy and they can genetically test it and tell you, well, this was this was what happened. So some of our losses might have been down to embryos and chromosomal abnormalities. We'll never know. But for us, I firmly believe that some of them were down to me having high NK cell activity and not being on a reproductive immunology protocol. And I think also the Ashermans contributed. And I think the Ashermans definitely explained why we suddenly stopped falling pregnant after always falling pregnant so easily. Mm -hmm. And again, my tip would be, if you find an answer, you know, say you're thinking, oh, it might be X, it might be Y. And it turns out that X is a reason. That doesn't mean you shouldn't also explore Y because that's a hard lesson we learned. Yeah. Well, oh my gosh, thank you for spending so much time and energy with us today and sharing your story. I know, like I said earlier, it's not easy to do and I know it opens up wounds and I know. <laughs> I um, I never know whether I'm going to cry when I talk about that. Sometimes I do and sometimes I don't, but yeah, yeah I, I don't mind. It's just, it's just, I, I honestly, I like to get to talk about him. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing your story about him. And, you know, I think, like I said, a lot of people who are faced with these answers, you know, like we talked about, I don't, I don't know that these questions are discussed. I don't know that these feelings are discussed and kind of how you come to make these decisions or what goes through your mind or body or, you know, your heart when you have to stop and think about these things. Cause it's not easy. I can only imagine it's not easy because I, you know, I haven't had to make that decision. For those who are faced with that decision, like you said, sometimes, you know, you don't know anyone around you who's had to make this decision. You don't, or maybe you don't have a circle that's supportive, or maybe, you know, you're going through infertility and no one around you is going through infertility. Because, you know, I maybe know one person who's gone through infertility in my circle of friends. And mm -hmm. she's not, she's like a kind of more of an acquaintance and we're not like close friends or anything. So it's not like something we talk about often. And I have, you know, some supportive friends, but it's still, it's hard to talk about when they don't understand it. You know, it's just hard mm -hmm. to kind mm -hmm. of share that. Mm -hmm. And it makes a big difference when 
you talk to someone or you hear someone's story who gets it because then you hear your emotions, your story mirrored in someone else and it's validating, you know, and you go, oh my gosh, she gets it. We feel yeah, this, you know, you, you, you feel better. Validating and it eradicates shame. I think it's Brene Brown who says shame cannot survive being spoken. And that that's mm-hmm. so true. And every time somebody tells me that private things should be private or that what I share is too much information, it just drives, it lights a fire under my ass to talk about it yeah. even more and even more loudly. Yes. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for being a voice for all of these different topics, things that, you know, we aren't talking about, things that we want to talk about more. I know I do. I, cause kind of being in the dark and, you know, being older and knowing that these things come up, I remember sitting here thinking, why has no one ever said anything? <laughs> you know, I sat there th- thinking, mm-hmm. I have not heard anyone say anything about why, why, why are we not talking about this? Why is this such a secret? So, you know, I, I'm trying to kind of join the ranks in speaking up about it more. So there's less shame around it. So it's not this taboo topic. So people don't have to hide in the shadows and feel like they have to sit in the corner and struggle on their own when there are lots of people or resources that you can tap into to help support you while you're going through this. And because you're going through this doesn't mean you're less than because you're going through this doesn't mean that you know you're not deserving or anything like that and you're not being punished or anything. So like that's the other thing I think that comes up too in sharing these stories is mm-hmm. that you feel like, oh, okay. Because you do, you know, when you're sitting in that space by yourself, you do feel like, you know, am I being punished? Am I, is this because I'm a horrible human when, you know, you know, you're yeah, not a horrible your human? Yeah, your mind goes to dark places. Mm-hmm. Your, your mind goes to dark places and you can't stop it. But yeah, that's exactly it. It's so validating to know that other people think these things and have these thoughts and are going through these experiences. Yeah. And, you know, I would love to have you back you know, at some point in time, we can explore more of these topics more and kind of deeper dive into some of this. I know we covered some of this today, but I'd like to dig a little deeper on some of this. I mean, there's a lot going on and I know you've got a lot going on and I'm so grateful for your time today. And I would love to have you back if you would like to come back at some point. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I I think I'll never stop sharing and, you know, we obviously are hoping that this is a happy ending for us. I still have to touch wood when I say that, but yeah, you know, fertility will continue to be, we we don't know, we have embryos, we might try for siblings, we might be going through failed IVF again. Yeah. So I think, and and I think I'll always keep talking about this and and be active um, on my account because until until we get to the stage where nobody is feeling alone or ashamed, we yeah. need to keep talking about it. Yes. And so how can people reach you? How can people connect with you, talk to you? What's the best way? I am on my Instagram account at recurrent underscore loss underscore psychologist. And it's a public account. So yeah, I always welcome any kind of interactions and messages on there and I try and reply to all my messages and I love connecting with people on there and feel honoured, really honoured when people message me their stories when they're in kind of the darkest places. I feel honoured that they they trust me to hold and share that information with them. Yeah, and thank you for answering my message. <laughs> I was like, this is a long shot. I don't know if she's going to answer this, but... I think I took a while to answer your message. And yeah, I think I think maybe when you first messaged me, we were 
in the midst of transfer stuff and yeah sure. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So. well yeah no, I'm so grateful for you thank you so much for your time today and hopefully we'll be able to connect soon yeah no I'm so grateful that you had me and and always feel honored that people want to want to listen and let me tell my story so thank you for having me thank you we'll talk soon okay bye bye I want to thank you for tuning in today I hope you found today's episode helpful. As always, please share with anyone who may find value in our conversations. And if the mood strikes you, please feel free to donate to the podcast or leave a five-star review so we can get more listeners to hear these stories and resources. I will have a link in the show notes along with the books that we discussed on this episode. They'll be linked to my Amazon shop. Your purchase with that link helps me offset the costs of running the podcast. So I'd be so grateful if you opted to buy any of the books we discussed on the show through that link. Thank you to everyone who is part of the 40 and infertile community. I am so grateful for all of you and I hope to continue bringing you more content that helps you in your quest to parenthood. If you want to have a question or topic covered in future episodes, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at 40 and infertile.